The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Romans 8, 18-30 For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adaptation of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called accordingly to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go now to Romans chapter 8. And um, before we dive into this, let me me just pray for us. Father, we need you. Indeed, uh, you are greater than our sufferings. Uh, You redeem us in the midst of our sufferings. But, oh God, we suffer. And uh, we live groaning for something better. And yet, Father, so often we settle for that better being some solution that this world can give us. This morning I pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would deconstruct our idolatry. Deconstruct how we believe and trust in things, in dreams, in aspirations, how we depend and lean on past accomplishments, how we take your giftedness and the beautiful ways that you have blessed us to stand on as our own, robbing you of glory. God, I pray that we would not play games in this church. I pray that you would cut through the pretense, that you would rip off our masks, that we might live in vulnerability and honesty and truthfulness before you, because your gospel is power to do that. And if we don't, we will not experience the healing and the transformation and the deep change for which you have sent your Son, Jesus. And so we are praying a bold prayer this morning. Would you come by your Spirit 
And would you do your work in our hearts? Give us the faith and the boldness to be honest. Expose us, O God, for the glory of Christ and for our ultimate good and for the good of those around us that you've called us to love. Oh God, would you come? No man can do this. Only you can. So we pray you would in Jesus' name. Amen. This past Wednesday and Thursday, our staff took a two-day retreat. And we started out, we had a long agenda. Um, We had a lot to get accomplished. There's a lot going on. But one thing that we wanted to do as we started out was just to check in and see how each person was doing. And what I had on the agenda as kind of a 15 or 20 minute thing turned into the entire afternoon. And as I listened to the struggles and the hurts and the pains and I saw the tears of uh, my co-workers and as I shared my own pain, um, this, if you've ever taken the DIS test, this high D-I, uh, this dominant influencer, that's what I am on the DIS test, realized that God was speaking, <laughs> that I was not going to be able to get through our agenda But there was something much more important. And so we encouraged each other. We prayed for each other. And one thing was clear to me, and that is that we are all broken. And as broken human beings, um, we need the transformation and the restoration that only Jesus can bring But indeed, Jesus can bring it. The Bible makes clear that it's not if we are broken. So when I or someone else is preaching or you're sitting under the word, it's not a matter. the, The word is not speaking to other people. The word is speaking to us. And it's not a matter of if we're broken. It's not a matter of if we need the gospel. It's not a matter of, uh, of if we desperately need the Holy Spirit to intervene in our lives and to do deep work in our souls. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of how. And if we are not doing the hard work of going deep in our hearts and souls and, and seeing the darkness and recognizing the wounds and identifying the wounds, then we are stiff-arming the work of God. If Romans 8, especially verse 28 and forward, is clear about anything, it is that God is at work in our lives no matter what. He works all things for the good of those that are called. But how is He at work? Do we feel and sense that He is at work? Do we know the kind of work that He needs to do in us? Are we in tune with the kind of work that... God needs to do in us. Paul was. He he begins in verse 18 and he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will one day be revealed in us. And he talks about creation groaning. He talks about the Spirit meeting us in our weakness, praying with words that we can't even understand because that's how deep our wounds are. That's how deep our suffering is. That is the depth at which we need the Spirit of Christ. He says, our present sufferings, and if you, it's so easy just to go over that 
um, those verses or that verse, but we can look throughout Paul's writing and see some of the suffering that he must have been referring to. In, in um, 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 11, verses 23 through 29, he speaks of far greater labors, far more imprisonments. He's talking to a church that, that felt as if they were isolated and alone in their suffering. He said, look, I'm with you. I'm with you, church. I've, I've had, in fact, I've had more imprisonments with countless beatings. And often I, I was near death. And listen to how specific he gets to his pain and his suffering. Suffering, the Greek word just simply means pain. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Five times. Are you kidding me? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. And danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. If you have any fellow pastors in the room, elders in the room, you get that. Who is weak and I'm not weak, so says Paul. Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a trustworthy saying that everyone should accept, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst of all. Paul, one of the deepest wounds of his soul is that he, and I think in a very healthy way, saw himself as the worst of sinners. How could he say that? Acts 22, 4. I persecuted this way, the church, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. You see, Paul had some wounds. Paul had some wounds. He knew there was nothing he could do, there was no amount of good that he could do that would pay for the damage that he had done to the church that now he was giving his life for. He had some wounds. If there's one critique I have of the church over and over and over again, it is that we talk about authenticity and yet very often experience it. We talk about vulnerability. We talk about honesty. We talk about transparency. And yet very rarely are we willing to be vulnerable, transparent, and honest. Even to ourselves. Because we mask our sin. We mask our wounds. We mask our hurt with a host of coping mechanisms as we looked at last week. We mask it with working too much, drinking too much, exercising too much, spending too much. We mask it with a host of busyness. And I want you to know that the gospel is power to free you. And you need to be freed. The reason we did the work we did last week 
is because it is dangerous not to look inside and deal with the wounds. Let me give you three reasons that we that should motivate us to look inside and do some real reflection. Number one, protecting wounds ensures that those wounds will never be healed. Ignoring a wound ignored is still a gaping wound. You can't ignore a wound and expect it to go away. In fact, something that happened years ago will be as fresh today as it was then if you've never really dealt with it. You wonder why someone can say something and, or, or something can happen and you fly off the handle. It's because you've got a gaping wound that you've never dealt with. Number two, protecting wounds allows those wounds to continue to live, fester, and spill over to others. All sin is relational. If we've said it once, we've said it a hundred times. Every sin in my life impacts someone that I love. There is no hidden sin. It all comes out. It all manifests itself in relationship. So do it for the good of those around you. It's not, we're not talking about some contemplative lifestyle that makes you more consumed with yourself. We're talking about getting to the depth and getting to the point that you see your wounds so that you can go beyond it to be some good to God and others. We're talking about moving through it, not getting stuck in it. You are stuck in it if you've never dealt with it, whether you know it or not. And so you need to move through it just for the good of your neighbor. Three, protecting wounds ensures the survival of a false pretense of health, which guarantees independence from God's restorative work. What that means is, it's simple. If we don't, we, God doesn't heal a wound that we aren't willing to deal with. And so what is the wound? How are you, how is your sin manifesting itself in your life in such a way that you are not the transformed, changed, healthy image bearer of, of God Himself? I want us to do what we did last week because I knew we would have a lot of new people. And I also wanted to redeem myself a little bit because I showed some pictures last week and realized that all of the pictures that I showed were of men. I didn't have any of women. Uh, and I'm sorry. Ladies in the church, I am so sorry. Uh, that was, you know, I'm, uh, anyway, one of you did bring that to my attention. <clears throat> Thank you for it. Um, I literally was unaware. Uh, there you have it. That That... Probably says a lot about me, but um, here's what I want us to do. We're just going to spend a couple of minutes. Um, you can look at pictures to identify the image that you really want people to adopt of you. All right. And um, I did this exercise. We did it at our men's retreat. And as I told you last week, here's the picture that I want people to see me as Muhammad Ali. I, the image that I want you to get of me is, you know, I'm standing over the knocked out opponent. I'm invincible. I can handle anything. I'm the heavyweight champion of the world. That is the image I want you to buy. And, and, and I can sell that to you in a host of different ways. I can sell that to you by preaching this sermon today. won't go into that. But here's the, the, the person that I don't want you to see. This is the person behind that image. I'm the little boy. 
And, and as we said last week, I can't go through everything we did last week, but as I said last week, it's not necessarily that anybody, you know, did this to me. It's just this is how I interpreted my surroundings. You are worth nothing. You don't measure up. And yeah, I can point to different things in my life, and we're going to talk about some of them here in a little while, but it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, though it does to get beyond it, but it doesn't matter for these purposes. But that much of the time is what I am working so hard against. I don't want anybody to see me as a little boy that's worth nothing. And so I'm going to be the heavyweight champion of the world, and I'm going to present myself as that. Do you see what I'm doing? So there's some wounds driving that little boy that's inside, deep inside this 52-year-old man. All right? So let's do that. I want you to look first at this set of images. What image do you want others to see you as? Notice the women. (laughs) Ladies. All right, take a look. I'll give you about two minutes. All right, you've got your picture of... The image you want others to see. Now, what is the image that you don't want people to see? Who is that person on the inside? What is the cry of your soul? Okay. You can see how, and maybe you can't immediately, maybe you need to take some real time, but you can see at least in my story how... My wounds of not wanting to be seen as a, as a little boy who's not going to amount to anything, how that plays into kind of this image, this John Wayne for you elder folks or Muhammad Ali or whatever it is. You see how the two feed off one another. Well, here's the good news of this passage. Jesus wants to use your wounds for a specific good. There is purpose. God works all things for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. For those whom God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. He wants to use your wounds for a specific purpose. You, God is, is wanting to, to redeem those wounds in such a way that God gets glory and good comes to you. This world is cursed. Sin is in this world. And yet God wants to restore and transform and change you, but He does it at the point of your wounds. My story, and I think part of the, you know, the earliest wound, and that's why we need to go back to some of the earliest wounds, is my dad leaving our family when I was in the fourth grade. And that's probably where this whole construct, but you know that a dad doesn't leave you know, just I'm sure that there was a there were a whole lot of other things that you know were going on in that home, and I don't even can't even bring to mind, but that were forming feelings about myself. All right. So as we go throughout life, if I am cr- working under the narrative of I'm not going to be the little boy that it doesn't amount to anything, when there's hurt and pain, when there's failure in my life, it's it, it's not just small failure, but it becomes huge. It becomes magnified. It becomes the epicenter. It becomes something that begins to define me if I allow it to and I don't bring in the realities of the gospel. See, how does God use our wounds? God uses our wounds to humble us 
and to meet us in our humility. Because God is what? Opposed to the proud, but who does He give grace to? The humble. And humility is not some thing out, it's not some undefined thing out here. Humility is being emptied of self. It's being, it's those moments and those seasons when you really believe that, that you are human. And so God meets us there. In fact, Jesus primarily meets us in our humility, which is the point of our wounds. Whether it's sin that we have done, whether it's sin that's been done to us, that's where Jesus meets us. So if we don't define those things, if we don't acknowledge those things, if we don't put those things down on paper, then we are not going to see the reality of Jesus' power coming into those places. So we have to do work. God humbles us through His forgiveness. God humbles us through His love. It is unbelievable to me that God loves Richard Reeves, who in his life has made so many, so many errors, who are and committed so much sin, that God loves Richard Reeves and can even use Richard Reeves in, in, in ministry, not even though Rachel and I were pregnant before we were married, but he uses that to bring good to others. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you every single time that I say those words, I hate it. I want to tell you I won the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, want to, I want to tell you, you know, I, I planted a church that was 7,000 members. I want to tell you anything but that. And yet God, over and over and over and over, I can't tell you how many phone calls, how many knocks on the door, We've had a people saying, I'm right where you were. I need you. Isn't that beautiful? God, I hate that that's the way that God works, but that's how He works. He works through our weakness. He works through our brokenness when we are willing to acknowledge it and willing to take it to Him. That's how God uses our wounds personally, but He also uses our wounds Corporately, we experienced this on the men's retreat. We got in groups and we just shared those, our reaction. We identified, you know, which pictures that, you know, are, is our um, projected self and which is our wounded self, our real self. And it was unbelievable. The great time, I'm still hearing people. I mean, there, there are people now reaching out to other men saying, I need help. There are people going to counseling, calling me, saying, hey, who would you recommend? Why was that so powerful? Because God uses our suffering and our pain and our wounds for His glory, for the good of others, when we are willing to be vulnerable and willing to be transparent. When, when we do that, God, it's like calling little afraid children out, you know, um, out of their, their fear and out from under their bed and saying, it's okay, you can come. That's what we all are. And so God uses our wounds for the corporate good. And that's what He's after. Notice in uh, verse 28, He says, and we know that... Uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He uses our wound to create community. Jesus' passion is to redeem wounded men and women to create a church of wounded men and women who, are being, who have found freedom in Christ to say, I'm wounded, but I'm being transformed, but I'm being healed. That's how Jesus uses our wounds. Secrecy is the devil's ammunition to create a pretense of wholeness to yourself and the body. If, if, if we are not willing in our small groups, in our prayer meetings, in our relationships to say, I am struggling and this is how, then the devil is using that as ammunition to say Christianity is hiding. Christianity is putting forth a pretense of health. Christianity is Jesus is so small and, and, and he's really just this religious figure who, who wants us to perform for him, who wants us to hide the hurts and pains of our lives. He's not really a savior who's going to go deep and who's going to restore and rescue us from the deep junk of our lives. That's how God uses the good. At our retreat, I was one of the staff members were talking about just the transparency that, that sometimes I, I put forth on in sermons. And they were thanking me. And I shared with them that, that I needed to hear that. Because every single time that I'm transparent with you, do you know what happens on Sunday afternoon and Monday? I am replaying that going, you idiot. What are you thinking? I mean, you just exposed yourself to, I mean, think about people that have never been to downtown church. <laughs> you know, think about, I mean, you're putting yourself out there. Are you crazy? That's how I feel. Why? Because our flesh says hide at all cost. Our flesh says live in secrecy. Our flesh says they're going to reject you if you're vulnerable and honest. But the reality is, People will embrace you. Our wholeness, our successes exalt us in the minds of people, but it doesn't endear us in the minds of people. Our transparency and our vulnerability and our honesty, those are the things of friendship. Hiding and secrecy and exalting ourselves to a level that the Scriptures clearly say we're not are the things of celebrity status. They are the things of, of people holding us up and saying, I want to be like Him. We should only want to be like Jesus. And then secondly and finally, how do we do this? Let's get to the, some real good news. God's certain love is power to be broken and restored. It, it's amazing to me if you look at verses 18 through 27, you know, Paul is just talking about our present sufferings and, man, the whole creation is groaning us in the pains of childbirth and, you know, we're just in miserable condition. It's horrible, it's horrible, horrible. And then he says, but I'm convinced 
that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, nor things above, nor things below, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, that, or from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, how do we get from looking at our wounds and experiencing the humility and the brokenness that is there in our lives to, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor hell or anything. How do we get there? How do we get, if God is for me, who can be against me? How do we make that jump? Paul says it's clear. Understand that his salvation cannot be thwarted in your life. Understand the sovereign hand of God to save you. Understand that that he has committed and there is nothing that can take him off center from saving you from beginning to end. This is called the golden chain of salvation. And for those that grew up in a reformed community, and if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But those that did grow up in a reformed community, you, you know this as the golden chain of salvation, as predestination and the, you know, the sovereign work of God and you know, the five points of Calvinism and all this other stuff that we could talk about. But no, to Paul, this was not some theology to be put on the shelf. This was the very foundation for the song of his soul. For those whom God foreknew, what in the world is he saying? He's saying, do you understand that the God of heaven and earth knew that I would be a murderer? That I would go around and and round up Christians and kill them and then he would redeem me? Do you understand that there is no sin in my life that God did not know? Now, if you've ever adopted a child... You always get a history, right? I mean, most of the time, I would assume, if not all of the time, you kind of get a history of, of what has happened to that child. And you know, God, God got your history. He knew exactly what he was getting. And he says, I choose you. I choose you. You're mine. All of you. Every part of you. There's nothing I don't know. I foreknew you down to the stuff you can't even know. I knew it all. I foreknew you. And then I predestined you simultaneously. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Are you kidding me? Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Oh, that sounds so mechanical and so, but let me tell you something. You're only, you become what you love. The only way that there is real change in your life is if you, you become what you love. That's why the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because if you do that, you're going to obey Him. You're going to become like Him. He's going to become everything. He's going to shape what you like. He's going to shape how you live. He's going to shape what you do. Isn't that beautiful? He called you. What in the world does that mean? It means in space-time history, in his appointed time, according to his whatever means he wanted to use, he sent his spirit to convince you that you need grace and Jesus is, is grace. That he gave you the will to say yes. 
It is by grace we are saved through faith. And that's not even of yourself. That's the calling of God. God says, you're mine and I'm going to make you mine and I'm going to want you to be mine by sending your spirit, sending my spirit into your hearts to say yes to my gospel. He called you, then He justified you. What in the world does that mean? It means that, that God is different, that the God of the Bible, that Jesus is different than any other God because He came and He lived under the law for you. Because if He took you to court, He would not find you to be just. But He didn't take you to court. He took His Son to court. His Son came and lived a perfect life and then He was judged. And he was not found wanting. He was found perfect. And so now through faith, because God the Father declares him just, he can declare you righteous. And so when God looks down and he sees Richard Reeves, he sees me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And nothing can, there's no sin that can push that off. Therefore, he loves me. Therefore, he delights in me. Therefore, he is dancing over Richard Reeves today, even though and especially because I don't deserve it. That is power to me. That is power to me to say, show me more wounds. <laughs> show me more. Show me more how I am not living as if you like you would have me live. Show me the, the dark recesses of my heart that you can come in and transform and change where you can change my desires. And then ultimately he glorified you. Notice the past tense. Those he justified, he glorified. Your glorification, your new body, your, your being made new is already settled and it's, it's as if it has already happened. Does that give you the freedom and the confidence to say, okay, maybe I can, I can start dealing with my heart and my life? That God doesn't want to kill me. He wants to change me. That it's His love calling me to Himself. He doesn't have a knife in His hand to destroy me. He has a knife in His hand to cut out the hurt and the pain and the sin that you might realize what is already true of you. Dear friend, this morning I hope and pray that God's Spirit would come. And I don't know what wound you need to look at. I don't know what you've got to deal with in your life. I don't know what secret you're holding. I don't know. Maybe it's just your arrogance. And for those in this room this morning that are thinking, man, there's nothing. I've, I've lived... Ask God. Ask those around you who will be honest with you. Because God is at work and He wants to go deep. But would we let Him? Would you let Him? Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You that we have hope. Lord Jesus, thank You that You bring healing balm to our souls. Thank You that You bring life and not death. Healing and not sickness. Oh God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself. I pray for all of us. That You would come and You would call us out of hiding into Your wonderful light. And that God, You would bring healing in us personally. Bring healing in our marriages Oh God, bring healing in our children, bring healing in our parents.
Bring healing in our friends. Bring healing in us. Oh God, I pray that we would not wear masks any longer. But that we would be a community that cries out to You and cries out to one another, we need help. We can't do it alone. Oh God, would You do that for Your glory? Would You do that for the good of those in this place today? Do it for the good of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.